Howdy, everybody. This is David Sanchez, and this is episode number six of the Riffs or Die podcast for November 2, 2020. Tomorrow, there's some sort of a political event, I heard. Apparently, there's going to be a little thing where people put a ballot into a box of some kind, and I guess that will dictate who becomes the next sitting president of the United States of America. Before I continue my little rant here, I'd like to give a shout-out to one of the new philosophical riffers on the Patreon page, Mr. Brett Paulson. Thanks a lot, Brett. If you want to support this podcast beyond just listening to it and sharing it and showing your friends and getting them into it, you can go to patreon.com slash riffs or die for some big discounts for the web store, as well as uh, exclusive access to the Patreon-only feed, bonus episodes of podcasts, live monthly Zoom hangouts, and some other cool things that'll keep popping up as time marches on. I just launched two new shirts in the riffsordie.com web store. One of them is backed by popular demand. It is the No Karate in the Pit t-shirt, which is great to wear, especially when shows start coming back. You can visibly show off your disdain for assholes that like to do karate in the pit and kick you in the chest and punch you in the face and kick your beer out of your hand and punch your girlfriend in the face. There's also another new shirt in there that says, Music Saved My Life. I know that is true for myself, and I believe it's probably true for many people listening to this. The design is kind of cool. It's got a little musical staff below the words, and it's got, instead of notes, a little heartbeat monitor signal kind of thing going on. So check those out at riffsordie.com. And if you want some deeper discounts on that stuff, please sign up at patreon.com slash riffs or die. The elections in this country are something that's kind of interesting in that if you're of a legal age to vote, no matter who you are, whether you're rich or you're poor or you're tall or you're short or you're skinny or fat or a man or a woman or whatever you want to call yourself, You have just as much power as anybody else. When you cast your vote in the ballot box, you have just as much say as someone who has a billion dollars in their bank account. Now, I'm not entirely sure that voting actually does anything. I grew up on George Carlin, and he has a bit about not voting. But that being said, I think if you do vote, you have nothing to lose. Whether your voting actually matters or not, in any case, if you do it, you didn't really lose anything. If you don't do it, that's fine too, and that is completely your right and your choice. We all have the privilege to vote, and if you choose to exercise that privilege, do it right. You better not get any wrong answers. That's all I gotta say about that. But very seriously, if you're on the fence about voting, you might as well just do it just because you are not going to lose anything. I'm not convinced completely that voting is going to change much of anything, but maybe it will. 
I did vote in the off chance that it's going to make a difference. I think on a local level, it makes a much bigger difference than on the presidential. Again, maybe I'm completely wrong and talking out of my ass here, but uh, there's nothing to lose. So why not just do it? You can feel good. And then you can get one of those nifty little stickers for you to post on your social media account saying, I voted. I'm a good person because I voted. Be good and go vote. And if you don't want to go vote, that's completely your choice. And I respect that immensely. The fact that you're listening to this right now is shocking and appalling. And no doubt on the day after the election or the week after, whenever we get a quote-unquote winner of this presidential election, there will be a lot of people who are going to be shocked and appalled. I think no matter which of the two major party candidates wins, people on the other side are going to lose their mind. They always say that if you vote for a third-party candidate, you're throwing your vote away. But I don't necessarily believe that to be true. I think it's a shame that in this country we only have two parties on the debate stage and in the mainstream conversation on all of these news networks. That is disgusting. And I think the founding fathers of America would probably be horrified to see the state of things today. I recently came across this cool little website that's basically got a petition and it's calling for a convention of states. And right here on the petition, it says, if you sign this, I support the Convention of States Project, a national effort to call a convention under Article 5 of the United States Constitution restricted to proposing amendments that will impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, limit its power and jurisdiction, and impose term limits on its officials and members of Congress. This sounds like a pretty goddamn good idea to me. It's incredible that we don't already have term limits for Congress members. We have people serving in Congress that have been there for like 50 fucking years. People want to talk about how one president ruins things because they've been in for four years or whatever and they made everything bad. Think about how shitty these people can make stuff when they've been in there for decades and decades and decades. And a lot of these people... They're only getting paid about a quarter million dollars a year. And some of them are worth over a hundred million dollars. You don't have to be a rocket surgeon to figure out that you can't make a hundred million dollars getting paid a quarter million dollars a year. You would need to be in office for 400 fucking years to be able to make that much money. So how are these people in Congress making that much money? They're getting bought and sold by giant companies that have a ton of money who are trading political favors for dough. These people who are serving, quote unquote, in Congress are committing treason, basically, by taking money from these companies and organizations in trade for political favors. I used to think that this kind of corruption was hard to wrap my head around. And then it clicked some years ago. And it's way simple. Company X comes up to politician X 
and says, hey, if you get this war started and you sign off on this war, we're the bullet company. We'll give you uh, half a million dollars. Then that politician X goes, well, fuck yeah, I want a half a million dollars. Give you my John Hancock or my Herbie Hancock right here. Boop, boop, boop. Done. I think that the majority of the people that are serving in the Congress probably deserve to be examined and put on trial for treason against this country. That might sound like an extreme viewpoint, but I stand behind that. What a lot of these people are doing is treasonous behavior. It's the kind of stuff that would have gotten you hung a couple hundred years ago. But somehow, we keep letting it slip through the cracks, and the people keep voting in these career politicians who have spent decades of their life to fucking the American people over. I've written some songs about this kind of stuff. The first one that comes to mind is the song Hang Em High. There are some lyrics in that song that definitely expand on what I'm talking about here. So armed with that knowledge, maybe take that to the voting booth with you or, you know, with your ballot when you're um, selecting whether or not to keep these people in office. Use that knowledge and get rid of these people. There's no reason that we should have some of these people, quote unquote, representing us for decades at a time. These people are career politicians, a.k.a. borderline like many dictators. They're in there for life often. And I can't imagine that when you've been paid millions of dollars from companies to change public policy, that you're very in touch with reality or the regular commoner, your fellow countrymen. These people don't give a shit about us. That's become obvious and it becomes more obvious to me all the time. Hopefully more and more people are catching on to this little scheme and will take some sort of action to rectify it. If you want to see term limits put on people in Congress, go check out conventionofstates.com. I think I'll be signing the petition and it looks like almost 2 million other Americans have signed it as well. I personally don't really cling to any political party. My political beliefs are basically as long as you're not infringing on the rights of others, you should be allowed to do whatever you want. And the government should stop stealing people's hard-earned money. Do you know what the federal income tax rate was in 1912 before the Federal Reserve Act was passed in 1913 by Woodrow Wilson? The federal income tax in 1912 was 0%. That's right, the federal government took 0% of your income just over 100 years ago. The country still had a military, still had roads, still had schools, still had fire stations and police. All the typical go-tos for people that say, well, without taxation, how would we have all these other things? The Federal Reserve Act that was passed in 1913 was written by J.P. Morgan and his buddies. Many of the very rich banker types and uh, corporate owners of the day basically set up 
a never-ending debt machine. The Federal Reserve is a privately owned bank. It's not federal. It's as federal as Federal Express. It's a private company. And the Federal Reserve prints the money and loans it to the United States government plus interest. So for everything that they print, all the money that they create, because there's interest added onto it, there will never be enough money in existence to pay off the debt. Therefore, it is an infinite debt machine. In 1913, when this was passed by Woodrow Wilson, it basically created a system of slavery that included all people in America. It's slavery through debt. There will never be enough money in existence to pay off the loan plus the interest. Very ingenious and extremely evil. This is not stuff they teach you in school. They should, but they don't. If more people knew about this, there would be hell to pay for the bankers. Now, you can't forget that J.P. Morgan was also the same dude that funded Nikola Tesla. And when Tesla came to him and said, hey, I figured out how to make wireless electricity, natural and safe, available to everyone on the planet for free. He essentially squashed Tesla. And also J.P. Morgan is the same dude that started J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, which I'm sure most people have heard of. And he also stole Edison's electric company. What we know today as General Electric, GE, used to be Edison Electric Company. Basically, Morgan bought up enough shares to be able to steal the company from Edison. A lot of people talk about how if they could go back in history, they would kill Adolf Hitler. I think a better candidate that maybe has affected more people in a negative way than Adolf Hitler could possibly be J.P. Morgan. Granted, he funded a lot of things that were good for innovation and moving things forward and this, that, and the other thing. But also, this is the same dude that said the whole world shouldn't have free electricity and, hey, let's devise a scheme to enslave the entire United States of America. The Federal Reserve Act was drawn up on an island off the coast of Georgia called Jekyll Island. Good name for it, right? And when it was passed in 1913 by Woodrow Wilson, that was essentially the death knell for this country and uh, its sovereignty. You know, now we're just essentially in debt to the bankers indefinitely. So thanks a lot, Woodrow Wilson. You really, you really did it. Back in 2012, there was a guy running for president for the Republican Party who was not a typical Republican. It was a guy named Ron Paul. I really liked Ron Paul. I think a lot of people did. He was intentionally left out of a lot of uh, polling data shown on screen on a lot of television networks. I think they intentionally kind of tried to brush him under the rug and not let people know more about this guy. A lot of people would consider him a libertarian, but he wrote a book called End the Fed, and he's been a big proponent of ending the Federal Reserve banking system. It's no surprise that the media 
went out of their way to screw that guy over, especially with his campaigning for president. I think if we had a fair, honest media that just reported the facts unbiased, it's very possible that Ron Paul could have been the president in 2012. But that's not where we're at. An interesting tidbit that I've read is the year before the Federal Reserve Act was passed in 1913, there was a handful of very wealthy Americans who were against the Federal Reserve Act being passed. And a lot of these guys were on a boat that sunk in 1912. All of them died, and that boat was called the Titanic. In doing some of my own research on this topic, I found that some people were saying that J.P. Morgan actually owned the Titanic and knew it was a faulty boat and actually had a ticket to be on the Titanic. And the day that it set sail on its voyage, decided, nah, I'm just not going to go. Lo and behold, the thing fucking crashes with not enough lifeboats on it. And all of his wealthiest, most powerful opponents on this Federal Reserve deal were on that boat. I wonder how history would have been different had those people not died on the Titanic. We'll never know. But it's very interesting to think about. And if anyone wants to research this more, there's a great book called The Creature from Jekyll Island. I've not finished the book, but I've cracked it open, and it's very interesting. This dude spent his whole life researching this stuff and wrote a giant book. It's probably like two inches thick. Big, fat book, but uh, if you're into this kind of stuff, check it out. It's called The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin. Anyway, I just got back into town from visiting my father and my little brother in Tucson, Arizona. Took a long old drive down I-25 over to the 10, as you Californians would say. Pretty cool drive, a lot of mountains, and um, while I was in Tucson, we went to the Saguaro National Park, which was pretty interesting. It's very alien looking. There's all these giant saguaro cacti all over the place, and they look like they're trying to be trees, but they're not quite hitting the mark, like they're some sort of alien tree imposter. These gigantic, like 25-foot cacti that have these human-esque arms growing out of them and they're all spiky and thorny. They remind me of the trees that the mega seeds grow on in Rick and Morty. Minus the balls at the bottom. But we went out there and drove around in that national park. It's very cool. If you ever have the time, go check it out. And when we were going through that park, just all of these cacti all over the place, very, very densely uh, put together. You know, they, they were all growing fairly close to each other. And I couldn't help but think of like how much work it was to clear the roads for that park. It's one thing to excavate and remove trees and bushes and things like that, but it's got to be an extra step of, of work. I would think, to remove a bunch of gigantic cacti. We're super lucky. We live in an age where we have roads connecting everything. And I always think about that anytime I'm driving through like mountains or any sort of treacherous terrain. Even on flat 
ground, you know, because you're out in the plains and it's still bumpy and rough out there in the dirt. But we're super lucky, really spoiled to live when and where we do. Because we didn't have those roads even just 200 years ago. If you wanted to go from the Midwest over to the Pacific Ocean, you couldn't jump on a plane. You couldn't get in a car. You had to go on foot. Where there was no road, there was no pavement, there was no like well-worn trail for you to go on really. Especially when they started very first migrating from the East Coast over to the West Coast in the United States. White people, that is. Back in the day, if you wanted to go to the Pacific Ocean, you had to walk there with a wagon and maybe some horses or cattle, probably a pregnant lady, uh, three little kids, and maybe a dog or something. The fact that the West was settled at all is a miracle, the way it got settled in the way that it did. Granted, lots of people died. Lots of people died on both sides, whether it was natives or Europeans. A lot of hardship. And this is a time way before vaccines and running water, electricity and cars and paved roads and all this stuff. Way before air conditioning or heaters, flashlights. What a trip. I remember watching the Ken Burns documentary about the West. There's a lot of good information in there. And it really paints a good picture of how brutal it was getting out there and settling those areas. We take a lot of things for granted. Roads and airplanes and cars. And all of this technology that makes our lives so cushy and uh, easy compared to the way it used to be. I hope every once in a while you guys can sit back and appreciate the things that we have and all of the brain power and willpower and suffering and uh, experimentation that went into these things that we just take for granted. I mean, everyone's got a supercomputer in their pocket and we owe a lot of these great innovations to nerds. So thank you, nerds. Nerds really make the world go round. Like Bill Burr always says, we need to make sure that some of you ladies out there are checking up on these nerds, making sure that their uh, seed goes on. They need to procreate. We need the nerd blood and the nerd brains to continue on. So ladies, if you're listening, go try to find you a nerd. The world will thank you. In other news, I've been working on some mixes for some bands. And they're going along quite great. I've gotten so much better from all of the research and trial and error and practice, failures, and learning from them. And uh, I've not ever been this happy with my mixes before. But things keep getting better and better. So uh, if you have something that you would like mixed, feel free to hit me up at info at riffsordie.com. And let's talk about mixing your project. Sometime over the winter, I'd like to start making some videos, little tutorials on how to do some things, mixing-wise and tone-wise and little things like that to try to educate some people who are aspiring producers and mixers. 
I'll try to make it to where you can bypass some of the uh, shortcomings that I've had in the past and just move right along to being good at it. Very good at it. Pretty, pretty good. If you want to write in with a question or a comment, you can hit me up at podcast at riffsordie.com and hopefully I will read your message on the air, 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 air. Or maybe I won't. But if I don't, just keep writing it in. Maybe eventually I'll crack like Humpty Dumpty. That dude liked to fuck and shit. How do you think he got that name, Humpty Dumpty? So one thing I've been asking for you guys to do is to write in with the best piece of advice or wisdom that you've ever heard. Keep sending those in at podcast at riftsordie.com. I love reading those, and I'll keep reading them on the air. One quote that came up as a Facebook memory the other day that I really love is a quote from Frank Zappa. He said, A mind is like a parachute. It doesn't work if it is not open. So remember that and send in your wisdom or advice. So with that, let's get to some of the questions for the week. This one says, hey, David. Hey there, person. You and the other Havoc dudes have been a big inspiration for me musically. I appreciate that you push people to think critically as a physics teacher. I'm all about that. There are a lot of lyrical lines that I really appreciate, such as, the eyes are useless when the mind is blind. Music question. Do you generally write riffs or songs with just the guitar, or do you sometimes write riffs and songs to specific drum patterns? What is usually the seed of a song? Well, the seed is definitely always the riff. That is the meat and potatoes of a song, especially of the metal variety. But every once in a while, a drum beat will be the original piece of music that the riffs are written around. Often when I write a riff, I'll come up with a drum beat to go along with it. Or sometimes if I don't have an idea, I'll just show it to Pete and tell him, go nuts with it. What do you got? But occasionally the drums do come first. Every once in a while, I'll come up with a cool drum pattern and I'll program it. And then I'll figure out the guitar for it later. Sometimes that's a really fun thing to do. Like the end of the song Ritual of the Mind, there's a drum part that goes. And it kind of trades off between 16th notes and like a sixlet or triplet kind of a thing. And that drum beat was actually written before the guitar part was. So I guess it all just depends on where the uh, spontaneous inspiration strikes that day. Second part of the email says, non-music question. I agree that it is crazy that they don't teach about Tesla in primary schools, especially since I remember learning all about how Edison was an American scientific hero, quote, unquote. Are there other scientists you find inspiration from or other science-based books you've read that you could recommend? These podcasts are great. I'm excited to hear more. Well, thank you very much. Other scientists that I find inspiration from or science-based books that I've read that I could recommend. Yeah, um, I really like Carl Sagan's writings. One of my favorite books from him is The Demon Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark. And that one is basically like a D 
defense of the scientific method and how to deduce facts from lots of experimentation and only kind of looking where the facts seem to lead us. That's a very cool read. And I also really love My Inventions and Other Writings by Nikola Tesla, talking about his life and his inventions. And one of my favorite books that's also somewhat scientifically based is Terence McKenna, Food of the Gods. The subtitle is The Search for the Original Tree of Knowledge, A Radical History of Plants, Drugs, and Human Evolution. This book is super cool. It talks a lot about ancient rituals and uh, a lot about mushrooms and psychedelic plants. And one of the things that he posits in the book is the stoned ape theory. And what the stoned ape theory basically is, is that humans have such large brains and grew them in such a short amount of time because we're the descendants of apes that feasted on tons and tons of psychedelic mushrooms. It's a totally fascinating read, and I would recommend it to anybody who has any interest in psychedelics and uh, just more knowledge about where we came from in ancient cultures. Terence McKenna was a very, very great speaker and had a lot of really cool ideas, and um, I enjoy listening to him. Whenever I'm reading that book, I kind of hear his cadence and his rhythm and his voice in my head as I'm reading the, the words on the page. It's the same thing with Carl Sagan. I kind of read it in that Sagan-esque, monotonous cadence. And Carl Sagan, maybe a lot of people already know this, maybe some of you don't, but they rebooted the Cosmos series and had it hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson. But the original Cosmos series was hosted by Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan and his wife, Andrewian, um, wrote a book called Cosmos, and that was the basis for that whole TV show that came out, I think, in the early 80s. I could be wrong, but I really enjoy the original Cosmos series with Sagan hosting it. If you can and you have the time, go check that out. It's a really fun and informative TV show. And you'll totally see what I'm talking about with the uh, Sagan verbal delivery there. Thanks for writing in. This one says, hello! Love Havoc, love the podcast thus far. The wisest thing I know isn't so much an aphorism, adage, lesson, etc. Rather, it's a suggestion of an experience you can give yourself or others. I stumbled upon this accidentally while the night wound down as we lay on the rooftop of my friend's party bus parked at a hot spring in the eastern Sierra. So here's the very simple suggestion. Lie down looking at the stars listening to H.C. McIntyre's cover of Houses of the Holy. If you're bogged down by light pollution or don't have time for a nature getaway, just turning off the lights and lying on the floor will do. Hopefully a feeling more powerful than the wisest of words will strike you. Enjoy and keep up the outstanding work. Well, I definitely think that uh, profound thoughts and a lot of wisdom can come from lying down on the ground and staring at the stars. No doubt about that. 
I love going camping and lying down on the ground and just staring at the stars. One thing I really love to do also when I'm stargazing is to bust out my binoculars. Obviously, a telescope would be more ideal, but binoculars even will give you such a huge increase in the amount of stars that you can see. With your binoculars, you just get them in focus, and anywhere you point them, you're going to see like thousands of more stars than you can see with your naked eye. It's a really good time, and uh, yeah, there's not much better that you can do. If I had any sort of political power, I would try to make it to where between the hours of like 3 and 4 in the morning, once a month, the whole city kind of makes an effort to shut off all the, the street lights or something. So that people who want to go out and stargaze, who live in a city, can actually appreciate it and go outside and look at where we actually live. I think that by living in cities and having all the light pollution, we lose a lot of perspective. And we don't get to actually look up and see what our ancestors saw and see where we actually are. It's a pretty magical experience to be able to look up and see the whole Milky Way to be able to see all the constellations. And shooting stars are very common. We just don't see them all that much in the cities here. Also, of course, we have satellites that you can count go by. I mean, when you're lying out there with no light pollution, you see satellites go by like every five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. And uh, one of the last times I went camping over the summer, we actually saw that new... Elon Musk Starlink satellite train, which was a total trip. It was very weird and unsettling to see a string of satellites all lit up, all pretty much in a perfectly straight line, just traveling uh, across the night sky. Word has it that when they're all done with the Starlink thing, there's going to be thousands of satellites in lines like that circling the entire planet so get outside and enjoy the night sky while you can because i think when we're all way older we might not be able to have that kind of an experience the whole night sky might be polluted by these chains of satellites so uh i don't know if that's worth having the internet coming from a satellite that's highly debatable but I would suggest to go outside, gain some perspective, and if you can, drive outside of the city. Looking at the stars is a magical, beautiful experience. And a lot of time when we're looking up into the sky, we're looking at these pins of light coming from these stars, some of which are already dead. The light from them dying just hasn't reached us yet. So when you're looking up into the stars, you're basically looking at an interstellar, intergalactic graveyard. A lot of the stars that we can see in the night sky are the ghosts of stars. We just haven't been able to detect that they're dead. The vastness of the universe is completely unfathomable. Like that Kansas song says in Dust in the Wind, just a drop of water in the open sea. That's basically what this whole planet is. Just a drop of water in the open sea. There is so much out there. And uh, when you get to look out into the night sky, especially with no light pollution, you're looking into infinity. It's amazing. Amazing and profound. So 
get out there and get your binocs and your telescopes and start looking into outer space, 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 space. It's good for you. It's good for your brain. Thanks for the suggestion and writing in. Much preach. Moving on to the last question. This one says, hello, David. I'm a big fan of your work in Havoc, and your new podcast is great. So here's my question. Thanks for the kind words. Do you think the mindset of the people about the world will change after the pandemic is over? Or the people will just be the same as before the pandemic? Greetings from Colombia. Well, Colombia, we love going there. If have a really beautiful country, really nice people, and amazing food. I can't wait to return to Colombia. So, regarding your question... Will the mindset of the people about the world change after the pandemic is over or will people be the same as before? I think everyone that's old enough to wrap their head around this experience will definitely have a new perspective on things if things do open back up. The part that concerns me is they keep calling this the new normal. And I think that is some sort of conditioning to get us very acclimated and used to this total lockdown nonsense. You're asking if I think that the mindset of the people will change after the pandemic is over. I'm not too convinced that the pandemic will have an end. Otherwise, why would they keep calling this the new normal? There seems to be no uh, indication that it's going to be freed up or opening up anytime soon. But then again, there is a gigantic election happening tomorrow. So I guess we'll see what happens after that. But uh, I'm not holding my breath for things to change so quickly. I think the media keeps calling it the new normal and trying to get us conditioned to just accepting this as how things are. And another thing that really concerns me is young people, very young people. You know, like children that have their parents at home all day and aren't going to school to socialize and kids that are just starting to learn how to read facial expressions and social cues from people. All of that stuff is gone with the masks. So I fear that in the very near future, some years from now, we're going to have an entire generation of super strange kids that didn't grow up reading facial expressions or social cues in the way that the rest of us have all grown up with. That is going to be very interesting to see how it all unfolds, but uh, it's not looking too good. So as far as people's mindset changing after the pandemic, I think people that are used to us not being in a pandemic will have some sort of a new appreciation for some of the freedoms that we have getting to uh Walk around without a muzzle on, being able to go to concerts, being able to hang out with friends, being able to go to bars and restaurants and uh, musicals and comedy shows and movies and amusement parks and museums and things like that. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be hyper appreciative and hopefully more grateful that we have things opened up. But if that loosening up of things is going to happen is still up in the air, and we don't know if that's going to ever take place. So at this point, I'm just um, sitting back and seeing what happens here because 
It'll be real interesting to see how this all plays out over the next year or so. The earliest estimates that I've heard for like regular style touring coming back is fall of next year, fall of 2021. I don't know if that's going to happen. Fingers crossed that it does. But uh, that phrase that they've conditioned us to all accept, the new normal, is very creepy. And I can't help but think of George Orwell's 1984 when I hear that. You know, especially this phrase, we're all in this together while we're apart from each other. and We're not allowed to go out and spend time in public with each other. It's classic Orwellian doublespeak, in my opinion. And I'll tell you something, I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. But if any of you guys have any thoughts on this pandemic stuff, or maybe you know something that I don't know, please write in and enlighten us all. And I don't say that sarcastically, I actually mean it. It may sound sarcastic, but <laughs> it's not. Um, please write in at podcast at riftsordie.com, and maybe we can... Uh, All learn a new level of consciousness. That's it for episode number six. I apologize that it was so late. I've been out of town about half of all of the month of October. So I've been a little bit busy doing some other things. And uh, I apologize. I definitely don't want to get this late on a regular basis. I want to keep pumping these things out every week. So thanks for bearing with me. Please go to riffsordie.com to check out the new t-shirts. And if you want to support the podcast further, go to patreon.com slash riffsordie. I'll be searching for a new guest to get on sometime in November. And I'll be scheduling the next live Zoom hangout for Patreon subscribers at the $10, $25, and $50 levels sometime in the next couple weeks. I've got some cool news that I can't wait to tell you guys about sometime in the next couple episodes. And um, I realized that when I did that History of Havoc episode, episode number five, I kind of failed to go into more detail about the albums Unnatural Selection and V. So on the next episode, I'm going to discuss those a little bit more in depth. And you'll just have to get some more info on those on the next episode. Until then. Y'all take care of each other, try to leave the world a little bit nicer than the way you found it, and I will talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. Good day. <laughs>